or verse 9. <clears throat> we don't see our signs. There's no longer any prophet. There's no one among us who knows how long. And um, if, if the uh, translators were taking liberties, they might add in there, no one among us knows how long this will last. And so in the absence of their signs, Israel was crying out because it was evident that they had drifted away from God, lost his favor, lost his presence, and lost their unique identity as the people of God among the nations because it was the signs that the Lord worked among them, the parting of the Red Sea, um, the uh, sending of manna, the many wonderful deliverances and battles and provisions and the times when, um, when uh, aged, barren women would cry out to God and, be, and uh, become pregnant and they'd bring forth the prophet Samuel and uh, Samson. And so there were signs of God's blessing in heaven. So now there's been a number of years and those signs were not there. And so they're crying out because they know that the absence of the signs um, is an indication to their enemies that God is not among them. Go ahead and attack. Their defenses are down. Their, their force field, shield, whatever you want to call it, is, is, is not working. Now's the time you can get in and attack them. But hundreds of years after this was written, the promised Messiah, Jesus, came. And after his resurrection, the Holy Spirit entered the world on the day of Pentecost. And the New Testament church was born with supernatural signs installed into it that it instantly began to show forth and flow out from the midst of it. Peter talks about the fact that the New Testament church should have those supernatural signs flowing out of it on a regular basis. It's not something special, although it's special in the sense that everything from God is special, but it's not special in that it's something we shouldn't expect. It should be expected. And he comments on that in 1 Peter 2.9 when he says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy or a set-apart nation. You are a people for God's own possession so that you can show forth the excellencies or the power, or the virtues of God who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So it's our mission as this holy set-apart people to be showing forth Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday the wonderful works of God, the wonderful deeds of God. Imagine if you and I, every day of the week, got up and made it a point when we pray, our Father in heaven, oh, holy and sacred is your name, may your kingdom come, may your will be done. And we get to that, may your will be done. And we say, Lord, your will is that the supernatural signs of the church flow through me. I am a living stone in the house of God. So, Lord, these signs that pastor's preaching about that we're reading about in Acts, Lord, this is Tuesday, but is it okay for the sign of miracles to flow through me today? Uh, Lord, it's Thursday, but is it okay for the supernatural gifts and the signs of the church to flow? Yes, it is okay, the Lord says. In fact, I want you to desire to see my glory because your job is to show forth, show forth my excellencies. Now, in the Old Testament, those signs were indications that the God of heaven had dropped down and his favor was among them. But in the New Testament, these New Testament signs flow out from within us and they declare that we are the house of God and that God is in the house. That's what the signs of the New Testament say. God doesn't just live in the heavens and he doesn't just come down for times of special visitation. Isn't it terrible that many New Testament churches have gotten into the mentality, the Old Testament mentality, that God lives in the heavens and he only comes and visits on special occasions the earth, and they call them revivals. But that's not the New Testament that we read about in the book of Acts, the New Testament church. These things should be flowing out of us. There is no scriptural evidence whatsoever that God ever intended to turn his heaven-born, spirit-connected church into a worldly institution. 
We are called to be more than signs of what we believe in. When you drive by churches, those signs usually talk more about what we believe in. We're Methodists. We're Pentecostal. We're Catholic. And not that any of those things are bad, but if those are our signs, then our signs are nothing more than indications of what particular segment of Scripture we like to emphasize. That's what our signs are. And so we're called to be living signs that God is in His house. We are called to be living signs of what God is doing, not just what we believe. Think about it. You're not supposed to just be going through the world letting people know you're a Christian, that you believe in Jesus. Something more should be happening in your life and mine. They should be seeing God at work in you. You should be a living sign of what God is doing. People should be able to look at you and it becomes obvious. Wow, God's in that man. God is in that woman. So until Jesus returns, all of these signs, these signs of God should be flowing from us. And as I preach these messages, I hope you're reaching out and throughout the week saying, Lord, Lord, I, I want to see these signs flowing in my life, in my home, in our church, in our community. If we don't see these signs today, we ought to be crying out to God in prayer for reconnection until our signs manifest again like they're supposed to. The fifth sign that I'm going to begin with this morning is the sign of angels. Oh boy, they love angels on Facebook. We're not talking about Facebook angels this morning. You ever notice the Facebook angels? What is in the head of people? Those angels on Facebook, they look like Victoria's Secret models with medieval armor and some fluffy wings. These are not Facebook angels. The Bible says in Psalm 103, verse 20, Bless the Lord, O you angels, you mighty ones, who do His word, obeying the voice of His word. Listen carefully, because the Bible never wastes a single word or a single phrase. Bless the Lord, you mighty angels, you mighty ones who do His word and obey the voice of His word. So two things I'd like to pull out of that. First of all, Angels do God's word in creation. That is their essential job, is angels do what God says. They do his word in creation. And they don't do, and, and you'll, you'll understand more a little further on the message why I'm saying this, they don't do your word. They do God's word. They do God's word. They don't do our word. They do God's word. Um, when you think of the angels of God, think of divine interface and facilitators. You know what an interface is? An interface is something that allows you to take an instrument and interface it with a computer so they can talk and that you can play music through a computer. That's just one type of interface. The word interface means that you take two separate functions and you allow them to connect so that the one expresses itself through the other. And so when you think of angels, think of heaven's interface. When you think of angels, think of facilitators. Their job is to facilitate the word of God. Whatever the word of God is, angels are conducting it and carrying it out. Isn't that awesome? That was a question. That wasn't a rhetorical. I was actually asking if you thought that was awesome. Apparently you don't have an opinion. But um, at any rate... Angels, also the second thing, take their orders directly from God's voice. I looked at that phrase, I thought there is a, there's a meaning in there. Bless the Lord, O you angels, mighty ones, who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. I thought that was interesting. Not only did it say they do his word, it then adds they obey the voice of his word. That means angels may be all around us, but they don't move. They don't bat an eye. They don't draw a sword. They do nothing until they hear the voice of God 
You can quote scripture all day long. You can decree and declare and say all these things, but angels don't obey your voice. They obey God's voice. Amen. Now, God may speak through you or me, and, that, and they may, if they hear God speaking through you, his word, so understand, they won't do anything that's not the word. And number two, they won't do anything unless God says to do it. All right, let me share with you another verse about the angels in Hebrews chapter 1. It says, are they not all ministering spirits, spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Oh, my goodness. That is awesome. The angels are sent to help us. That's not inappropriate. That's really what that's saying. God has sent them. They are ministering spirits. They minister first to God and obey Him. And then they are on loan for His purposes to help us. But they don't help us in the ways that we dictate we want angels to help us. Remember, they, don't, they are not at our beck and call. You don't ever find in the Scripture where a person either in the Old or the New Testament directs angels to do anything. They, they direct you. Amen. Hallelujah. And it's always God speaking. So they are God's servants sent by him to render assistance with God's purposes on behalf of those who are being saved. So that's another thing. Wherever you see the Holy Spirit moving in the work of salvation, bringing someone to Jesus or helping saved and redeemed people, wherever the activity of the kingdom of God is, Angels are operating. You don't see them, but they're operating. They are busy conducting the business of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Hallelujah. And they're conducting specifically his business with regard to saving the lost and raising up his kingdom. So, um, as I said, these are not Facebook angels. Um, and like I said, if on, I've noticed on Facebook over the years, there is this penchant that people have. And I, <laughs> I always I get friend requests. So I, when you get friend requests, do you check them out or do you just go, oh, thank God, a friend? I don't know what you do, but I like to check them out, you know. Um, and so at any rate, because I don't want to invite friends in and then have to kick them out later. So um, at any rate... Um, so when I check them out, I always am amazed. Some people's Facebook page, your Facebook page is like the, the front window of your church. You just kind of put out there your hobbies and you can tell what a person's interested in and everything. Um, and sometimes it can be very revealing. It can be very encouraging. It's, sometimes it can be embarrassing. But um, I sometimes see these pages and I know they're Christians and they're just chock full of these incredible pictures of all these, you know, half-dressed angels and it's just amazing. <laughs> uh, the warrior angel with the long red curly hair, you know. And uh, I don't know. I, I just, uh, I think that what's happening is uh, people are lonely for significance. And they want to feel there's really important things going on. And that somehow heaven's beings, heaven's angels are, are, involved in their lives and they have these you know heavenly friendships with these angels and stuff and uh, so um, I don't think everyone that puts the angels on Facebook Facebook thinks that but there is a fascination with angels this is a fine narrow razor's edge that we need to walk this morning because the reality is is God does want us to know that the angels are active and that the angels are ministering on our behalf. He wants us to know that we are part of a greater integrated community between heaven and earth. He wants us to know that when we go through our days, that we are not alone just because no one from church sees us. That we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, not only um, leaning over the banister rails of heaven are the saints that have gone on before us, but the angels are here, and they witness, and they behold, and they see us. I sometimes wonder, I sometimes shudder, what do they think 
about what I'm doing or where we're at. But I don't think that the angels have such an independent thought that they're sitting there having opinions. They are simply carrying out the Father's heart. And that's the heart that they express and that they move through. I found an interesting verse in Matthew 16, verse 27, where the Bible says, The Son of Man shall come. When it talks of the returning of Jesus, He shall come in the glory of His Father with His angels. I noticed that word, His. With His, not with the angels, but with His angels. I want to tell you this morning, all of the angels of heaven belong to Jesus. Let me say it again. All the angels of heaven are His. They belong to Him. They are His servants. He owns them. They are His. At the incarnation of Christ, the angels came with their Lord into the earth to serve Him while He was on the earth. They announced His arrival from heaven and to the shepherds. They ministered to him after his hard 40-day fast and in his temptation in the garden and several times in between. But at those two points of great stress and struggle, the angels appeared and they assisted him and ministered to him and during his agony in the garden and through Calvary. They proclaimed his resurrection and his ascension. At his resurrection, the angels were at the tomb to explain to Mary what had gone on. Hallelujah. That he's not here. He's gone before you into Galilee. They explained the resurrection. And then when he ascended up and they were standing, 400 or more disciples, four or 500, saw Jesus ascend up. The Bible says angels stood in the crowd with them as they're looking up. And they said, why are you looking up? This same Jesus who went up, this very same one, is going to come again in the same way that you saw him to go up. And so they explained and spoke to them about the ascension and the resurrection of Jesus. The angels carried the souls of redeemed people to heaven when they pass from this life. The angels execute God's judgments. The angels of the Lord smite with judgment. When God sends judgment, he does it through his angels, and he will again, when, as we read in the book of Revelation, before his return. And throughout the book of Acts, there's numerous indications that the angels are visiting God's followers, the Lord's followers, Jesus' disciples, with special orders from him, bringing deliverance and bringing encouragement in times of trouble. There's an example in Acts chapter 5, beginning in verse 18. They laid hands on the apostles. The, the Jewish council grabbed them. and They, they weren't laying hands on them praying. They, they grabbed them. The soldiers grabbed them and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the gates of the prison and taking them out, said to them, go and stand and speak to the people in the temple the whole message of this life. So the angels are sometimes involved in a jailbreak. That one was apparently important to heaven. And so the, the angel of the Lord just went and let them out. In Acts chapter 8, we read, an angel of the Lord told Philip, the evangelist, to go down and take the Gaza, Gaza, Gaza Highway out into the desert. Now, you think, why doesn't, uh, why doesn't the angel of the Lord appear to me and, and give me directions? I've got to use this. I can't even use my iPhone. Someday. It would be awesome to have an angel that just can't say, turn left, turn right. One of the things I notice is angels are not frivolous. People are kooky, but angels are not frivolous. And their angels are not going to talk to you because you're having trouble with your GPS. The reason they told Philip was because there's no way Philip was going to walk out into the desert without some kind of supernatural heavenly manifestation telling him, I want you to get on the highway that goes out into the desert 
and doesn't stop till it hits North Africa. Just walk out there. Go on. I think even if he had a strong leading from the Holy Spirit, he would say, you know, I need a confirmation. So an angel appeared to him and told him to do it. And there, as he walked down the highway, the Gaza, the Gaza highway, walked out into the desert, there came a chariot with a, a high state official who served Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. And he stopped, and he shared the gospel with him, led him to Jesus. They found a little stream, baptized him, and then the Holy Spirit just poof, translated Philip. He disappeared and reappeared up north again. The Holy Spirit just whisked him away. Man, that's evangelism. Glory to God. Can you say amen? In Acts chapter 27, the Bible says, an angel of the Lord came and visited Paul after he and a couple of hundred Romans and other prisoners. Paul was a prisoner. He was going to Rome in chains. He'd been arrested for preaching the gospel. Fourteen nights. How many of you have ever been in a storm at sea? Or how about just real choppy waves? You ever been stuck on one of those, the love boat, but it's, it's not too lovely, and all of a sudden it's nasty? Um, 14 days. They were in a gale for 14 days, and they were afraid the ship was going to wreck and fall apart. And after 14 days and 14 nights of that little ship and those 200, and I think it was 70, something like that, souls bouncing around in there, fearing for their life, an angel of the Lord appears to the apostle Paul and speaks to him one night. And he says, don't fear. Tell the captain and the crew, here are my instructions. You are going to be wrecked at sea, but it's going to be near an island and you will be saved. Tell the soldiers not to drown any of the prisoners because they were going to throw the prisoners overboard and drown them. Just They were all chained up, just throw them overboard and get rid of them so that they didn't escape. Angel Lord had some good advice, said tell the captain, don't let that happen. Every, every soul must be saved and God saved all of them. So, the angels of the Lord were moving all throughout the book of Acts. Nobody dialed them up. Nobody said, Lord, send an angel. Nobody spoke to angels and said, come. Nobody prayed to angels and said, oh, Lord, let the angel Lord. We are given a covenant. And in that covenant, we have one name that gives us access to God, and that is the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the name above every name. It's above Gabriel. It's above Michael. And it's above all those silly, ridiculous names that all the false prophets give to their fake angels that they like to talk about in their conferences and how that they have tea and crumpets with the angels every morning. And uh, yes, I don't know how many of you have, have heard it over the years. I've seen plenty of it. But there's one name, and that name is Jesus above every other name. And the angels belong to him. They belong to him. And, you know, it's a wonderful thing that God assigns angels to young people. I hope they stay with us throughout life. But uh, that there's an angel, and the Bible says that uh, Jesus warned. He said, don't, don't offend, don't hurt, don't abuse these little ones because they're angel beholds the face of the Father. So God has assigned an angel. And uh, so that may be wonderful, but I suspect that 99.9999% of all of us will go through life and never see an angel, though we may sense the presence of the Holy Spirit in powerful ways. But just know, that angel knows where everything in your house is. The angels of God know where you live. The angels of God see what is going on, and they are obeying the Lord. So these mighty warriors, these heavenly warriors... Hallelujah, that cast Lucifer out of heaven. These powerful servants of God, they are waiting to hear the voice of God. So if you want to see God moving and the activity of angels on behalf of the purposes of Jesus and his people, that's you and I, then get close to Jesus and in, let Jesus influence you. And he'll talk to his angels and tell them what to do. How's that sound? Colossians chapter 2 gives a clear biblical warning. Do not worship angels. 
He says in Colossians 2 and verse 18, let no one who delights in humility, in self-abasement, in, in, in uh, making a big show of humbling themselves, let no one who delights in humility and the worship of angels pass judgment upon you. That person goes on at great lengths about what he has supposedly seen, but he is puffed up with empty notions by his fleshy mind. And so sometimes we run into people who claim to have inside such a close, well, they are so close with God that God lets them and the angels hang out together. And they'll say, oh, I, I met with an angel and they told me this and that. And um, people like that, Paul warns, he said, don't let them come and talk to you and impose their, quote, spiritualism, their spirituality over you and make you feel insufficient and make you feel unspiritual. Just know that they're fakers. When you hear it, when you see it, just know they're faking. They're false prophets or they're just very confused and deceived. Don't listen to them. Don't let them bring you under condemnation. Listen, you got the best when you got Jesus. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? And I, I just thought, I'd, even though it doesn't have to do directly with angels, I, there's a point that he makes here. Let no one who delights in humility and worship of angels. We believe in angels. It's one of the signs of the church, but we don't worship angels. We're not seeking angels. And I thought it was interesting. He says, let no one who delights in humility. You ever met somebody that's just dripping with humility? And, and it's a, <laughs> Helen said, not really. <laughs> uh, I know, we don't see them very often. Well, no, you probably recognized it for the pompousness and arrogance that it really is. What he is saying here is there is a fake humility that people like to put on and they like to they carry it with them. And, and um, you know, we don't see it maybe too much today, but at different times in history, it was very, uh, it, it was quite a thing to impress people with how humble you were and how... In, in, in such humility, uh, you know, religious humility and everything. So sometimes people go at great lengths. I always appreciate a humble person. I appreciate humility. And uh, I'll tell you, I'm the last person, and I hope you are too, to think that if a person is outgoing or they're bold or they even have, be a little rough around the edges, that that means they lack humility. It doesn't mean they lack humility. It doesn't mean anything of the kind. Humility is a posture in the heart towards God. It's not something you put on so that you impress people. You might have tremendous humility and people don't necessarily see it. You know, Moses was quite a guy. You know, he... Uh, he, you know, uh, uh, he was brazen. He was bold. But the Bible says he was the meekest man on the face of the earth. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? You know, pretty amazing. So at any rate, the worship of angels, the trying to communicate. There was a big revival a number of years ago, many years ago, um, here in Florida that was going on months and months. And it, and, and, you know, unfortunately, sometimes these things, they start with a, as a real move of God, and people start coming, money starts flowing, prominence occurs, people come from all over the world. Imagine this little church, God were to break out a Holy Ghost fire, and people start to come from all over the place. You don't know the power, the intensity of... Um, well, we don't call it fame and fortune, but everybody looking to you, and all of a sudden you're at the center of the most important thing God's doing in your city, and people are coming. You know, it has an effect on people. It can, if you're not firmly rooted in Christ, you know, people make terrible mistakes in judgment when those kinds of things happen. And so a lot of times these revivals will start, and uh, there's, uh, there's a uh, manifestation of the Holy Spirit moving you know, but then those manifestations start to, it's not enough that it's the manifestation of the nine gifts of the Spirit. We've got to have some new things. And so the next thing you know, gold dust is floating out from the sky and everything. And I always think, 
You know, if it's really God, it'd be gold coins. You know what I'm saying? It's something I can really take and use. But, um, you know, it's, and, and people get slain in the Spirit, in the power of the Spirit. You know, how many people have, have been slain in the power of the Spirit? Oh, yeah. Yes, somebody said, oh, yeah. Yeah, man, praise God. Especially when, you're, when you first saw and you put your, planted your foot back there and said, I ain't going over that. That preacher ain't pushing me over. And they didn't even get, they got three inches from you. Bam, over you went. That's Holy Ghost. You know what I'm saying? But then, you know, that's not enough. This thing's, this revival's going on weeks, turned into months and everything. And it's not enough to get, for people getting, like, I've already done that. I've been slain in the spirit. Let's see, what can I do? I know, I'll bark like a dog. And so whatever, you know. So these, these kind of things happen. I'm saying this because it's in that context of trying to be spiritual that people cross the line and start trying to, oh, I think I saw an angel. Oh, and, and you know, and they start having these imaginary encounters or they start pursuing it. We are called to be spiritual, but it, the Holy Spirit makes you spiritual. You don't make yourself spiritual. Being spirit-filled is not going around trying to be spiritual. Christians should be as normal as possible. If we're peculiar people, the peculiarity is that Christ lives within us, not that we're weirdos. So you just you get the idea. Um, now, every instance of angelic visitation, I want to wrap this up about angels because I want to finish with miracles. Every instance of angelic visitation in the New Testament church brought supernatural deliverance or some very specific critical direction from the Lord himself. They were never these frivolous, unaccountable incidences where angels manifest. And I want to wrap up on a positive note. I, I really did go to God and say, Lord, Angelic visitation is definitely one of the signs in the New Testament church. What should we take away from that? And I felt like it, I felt like the Lord said, it's a great blessing to know that we are part of a greater integrated community. Amen. It's humbling. It's wonderful. I'm not alone. And sometimes when I feel alone, when I feel like I'm struggling in that battle by myself, it's just nice to know there's angels that are warring on our behalf. The Lord is pulling for us. The Holy Spirit is there comforting us. It's nice to know that our team is robust. Yes. <laughs> Amen? Our team has got some stuff. Glory to God. All right. The sixth sign of the New Testament church, we all love them. Miracles. Say it with me. Miracles. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The sign of miracles among the followers of Jesus signals to the world that he and his people are working together as a team. Just like he said we were going to in John chapter 14 and verse 12 when Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, listen, whoever believes in me, say that with me, whoever believes in me. Are you included in that? Whoever, do you believe in Jesus? Yes. Now, when he says believes in him, he's talking about believing, committing your life, following him, your disciples. So Jesus said, whoever, and whoever means whoever, believes in me, Jesus said, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. And we know that in going to the Father, he sent the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus himself told us, whoever believes, whoever believes will do the miracles Jesus did and greater. At the end of the gospel, Jesus has risen from the dead and he's about to ascend up at the end of Mark's gospel. And it says, these miraculous signs will accompany, here's the phrase again, those who believe. It does say they will accompany the apostles only, the 11 remaining apostles, 
or the few apostles that I'll add to that group. It doesn't say anything like that or impose any sort of limitation other than to say these miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. Are people still believing today? Yes. Glory to God. Jesus went on to say, they will cast out demons in my name. They will speak with new tongues. They will be able to handle snakes with safety. Um, I hope you know that doesn't mean you're supposed to go out and look for snakes and check, test it out. But if you wake up and there's a snake in your hand, you're safe. That's basically what he's saying. Okay. And that happened to the apostle Paul. He was gathering some wood for a fire, and viper came out, fastened it to him. Paul shook it off, and then they all were amazed because the viper didn't kill him. So it says, they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they'll be able to handle snakes with safety. If they drink any poisonous thing, it won't hurt them, and they will be able to place their hands on the sick, and the sick will recover. So glory to God. Miraculous healings raisings of the dead, deliverances from prison, demons being cast out, the release of supernatural judgments upon the wicked. These are all part of the activity of the New Testament church, and they signify, what are they a sign of? They signify that Jesus is working with us. So you find a New Testament church that is working with Jesus, these miraculous things will happen. It doesn't say that you can control how and when they happen, but I'm going to share a few things with you to let you know that you can definitely control whether they don't happen. Praise the Lord. Now, the freshness, when I read in the book of Acts, the freshness of, of Jesus' love and faith in him in the hearts of the New Testament believers, um, that was clearly an indication of the kind of environment that miracles occur in. It was the freshness of Jesus in their hearts that, that made those believers fertile ground for God to work miracles through them. I try not to place anything other than what the Bible specifically says as a limitation. Jesus was very, very liberal in the things he said about miracles and things. He, he put very, very few, he was very judicious about trying to, to strangle the faith of people when it came to believing miracles. He said, all things are possible to him who believes. Never blame God for a lack of miracles. Whole systems of theology blame God for why we don't see miracles. They say God's decided miracles are not for today. God's decided. God, and and I, I always, it cracks me up. Um, I've done a lot of reading and studying over my lifetime and, and uh, reading theological workbooks and works and statements of people that are a lot smarter than I am. Um, and I'm always amazed when they say, and you can, you can see the fist coming down on the desk, God is sovereign, and the sovereign God chooses when and where miracles occur. It's like, all right, it's good. You don't have to be angry about it. I, I believe that. That's wonderful. God decides what it, why, because God works miracles. That's great. But then if we believe that, and we believe that's the only element that impacts the flow of miracles is that God sovereignly decides. Then apparently God has sovereignly decided that the world doesn't need very many miracles because we almost never see or hear of them happening. We don't see very many of them. Yet I believe that God wants to show forth his glory and he even said, you show forth the wonderful deeds of him who called you out of darkness. So if we're to show forth the wonderful deeds, perhaps we do have a part. Perhaps our condition is part of what makes the environment for miracles possible. Amen. Miracles are not arbitrary. 
They're not as arbitrary as you would think. They occur when God's people walk closely with Jesus in faith, in love, and in mission. When they pursue his mission. I want to read this segment out of Mark and then share with you what the atmosphere for miracles looks like. Mark chapter 16, verse 15 through 20. I read some of this, but go over it again. Jesus said unto them, Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every person, and these miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name, speak with new tongues. They'll be able to handle serpents with safety, drink any deadly poisonous thing, will not hurt them. Um, they'll place their hands on the sick. They will, re they will recover, and they will be healed. So then after that, the Lord had spoken to them. He was received up into heaven and sat at the right hand of God. And they that heard and believed, they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. There, if there's a formula, there it is. They went everywhere doing what Jesus said, preaching the gospel sharing Jesus with others, and the Lord worked with them. So if you're not working, miracles occur among people who are working in the gospel. Can I say that one more time? If your life is engaged, if the activity of your life is engaged in letting the light of Christ shine, sharing the gospel, um, uh, uh, um, taking the territory of Satan one soul at a time, if your life is involved in that, then you at least begin to create the atmosphere, the territory where miracles can happen. Because the Bible says, as they went and worked, the Lord worked with them, confirming the word with signs that followed. You see, the signs are there, and what do they signify? The word signify comes from the word sign. Signs of the church, the supernatural signs signify Jesus is working with we who are working with him. It is a sign of the cooperative work of the Lord and his people in the gospel. So, man, maybe not every church, maybe even our church, is not working with the Lord as much as we think we are. Because if we are working with him in the work of the gospel, he'll work with us and signs will follow. Signs will follow. Signs won't follow me, but signs will follow him working with me if I'm working with him. And you get that? I don't need to pound that point. You get that point, right? So listen, the atmosphere for miracles. There are a couple of things that I see just from the scriptures that help to, to form the atmosphere where miracles can happen, where at least we see in the Bible miracles did happen. Um, Full of faith and power. When we are full of faith and power. In Acts chapter 6, verse 8, the Bible says, And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. These are people like Stephen who were in such close harmony and fellowship with the Lord. And, <clears throat> and when I say in harmony with the Lord, he was in harmony with the Lord's mission. He was out sharing the gospel with people all the time. So he was, he, was, he was showing his love for the Lord by doing the Lord's work in his life. And so he was, and he was full of faith and power. Think of a time in your life, and it could be this morning, but think of a time in your life when you were full, the feeling of being full of faith and power. Full of faith and power. Your mind runs differently. When you're full of faith and power, your head thinks differently. And, and it leads me, it leads to the next thing that I want to bring up. When you're full of faith and power, it does something to the way you think. And uh, the next thing I'm going to say is giving Jesus. Being in that giving Jesus to people. Acts chapter 3 verse 6, it says that when Peter went up to the gate beautiful in the temple, uh, Peter and John went up there at, at the morning. Uh, in the morning to pray, they saw a lame man sitting there begging alms. And he, Peter looked at him and said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. So that was a spontaneous act. He wasn't planning to do that. It was spontaneous. He came upon the man, saw the man, the man begged for money, and 
It was spontaneous. It came out of him. Such as I have, I give to you. Peter knew not only that he had Jesus, but he knew he was authorized to give him. Do you know what you're authorized to give? Do you? Do you really know? You know, when you're full of faith and power like Stephen and like Peter were, you say things like, such as I have, I give to you. You have a mind that thinks like that. See, many of us, we, ne we never think of such a thing. You know, we might be filled with faith. We love the Lord, but we're not filled with faith and power. And we, we have faith, but maybe we're not filled with faith. Filled means there's not room for anything else. It, it, it's just overflowing. That it permeates everything in your mind. It permeates the way you think so that when negative stuff comes at you, it doesn't have a chance. You're overwhelming the negativity with, with the promises and the Word of God. I don't walk like that every day. I have walked like that every day, but I don't walk like that every day, and I should, and we all should. But just know that people that saw miracles work in their life, that's what the Bible says about them. Peter said, such as I have, I give you. He knew what he had. I remember when I first started pastoring in 1975, called a friend of mine back in Florida, and I was in New Haven, scared, young kid, uh, just, just obeying the Lord, went 1,500 miles away from home to start this work, and uh, with nothing other than Jesus and, and my wife and, and baby, um, and uh, a word from God. And so I called my friend up. The Lord had started this magnificent church, just built it out, just started it out of nothing. All these people came, and there was this great New Testament church being built. And so I called my friend. I said, I said, man, how do you, how do we see miracles and healings happen when we gather in our church service? Is there, a, is there a key? Is there something you can tell me? I mean, I knew the scriptures. I knew what the promises of God's word were and everything. It had good teaching. But I just called him up because God used him in a, in a great way. And he said to me just one simple sentence, and then there was the end of the call. He hung up. He said, when you pray for people, give them something. And when he said it to me, it just, see, I was full of faith and power at that moment, at that time. I was full of faith and power. And so when he said it to me, I understood exactly what he meant. When you pray for people, don't pray and just ask God, do something. You give them something. Peter said, silver and gold have I not, such I be healed, I give you healing. Now, you know, people in the world say, fake it till you make it. And I know Christians think faith is, I'm empty, I don't have anything, but, you know, I'm just going to really, I'm going to pray real loud and just do this. And, and God, I'll, I'll put the Lord on the spot and God will have to back this up. If you're empty, you're empty. You put an empty hands on empty heads, you're not going to get anything but empty. So the thing is, that there's an atmosphere in which miracles take place, being full of faith and power. Having the heart and the attitude to give, and you know. A lot of people have a heart, and they want to give Jesus, but, but they don't have faith that they can give, that they really have something to impart. And if you don't have that in your life, wrestle with the Lord in prayer until you get it. He'll give it to you, because every believer should have it. Um, you know, miracles don't happen because of who you are. They happen because of what you have to give. They happen because of what you have to give, not because of who you are. And the third thing I want to say is that, that, that uh, creates the atmosphere for miracles is the gospel. Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every person, and these signs shall follow those who preach and believe. So that's, you know, Philip went down to Samaria. We shared the testimony. And I'll, I'll share with you these couple of testimonies before we have this uh, altar call. When I was young and, and the Lord sent us 1,500 miles away with nothing but a vision to start this church, um, uh, up in the northeast, we had Jesus. We knew we had him. And, um, you know, he, he has us. Um, and I remember, I remember some of the miracles. We just had miracles happening all the time. And uh, I remember there was a woman named Nancy. Her son was part of our church, part of our ministry. We had only been uh, less than a year together, the, the ministry, the church, probably five, six months. 
And uh, her, her son, Joe, was part of our ministry. He said, oh, he said, my mom is dying. She's in St. Raphael's Hospital. And she's an employee there. She's worked there for years, but she's dying. She has intestinal cancer, and they, they can't operate. She's, she's had all the treatments. She's had everything they could possibly offer. She's on her last leg. Would you go visit her? I said, well, sure. So um, I prayed about it. I prayed, and in, in, in my prayer, the Lord just met me. I just had confidence God was her healer. The Lord was going to heal her. So I managed to get her on the phone. I called, and she actually got on the phone. And I, and I had her on the phone, and I said, Nancy, I want to pray for you, but I'm going to come see you and pray for you, but I want to pray right now over the phone for a moment. And uh, she said, yeah, sure, she was amiable. We prayed. And, and in that prayer over the phone, I remember just kind of slipping from prayer into like a prophetic declaration. I am coming with healing in my wings, says the Lord, and I am going to raise you up. And so I got a friend, and we went to the hospital a couple of days, day or so later, and anointed her with the oil, stood around the bed, sang some songs of praise to the Lord, and laid hands on her and prayed over her. And uh, the Lord said, in three days, she's going to get up and walk out of here. Three days. And so after that, I left. And I forgot about it. I didn't call her, didn't look in on her. She, she, you could tell I wasn't much of a pastor. Um, so uh, at any rate, that was it. And I got a frantic phone call three mornings later from a strong voice. It was Nancy. She said, you'll never believe what happened. I said, Nancy, is that you? And uh, long story made short, early, early uh, before the sun came up the third morning, she heard sirens screaming outside the window, which is not unusual. It's a hospital, inner city, you know, uh, hospital. But it disturbed her and alarmed her. And before she even could think about it, she jumped out of bed. Now, this woman was bedridden, about to die. Jumped out of bed and ran to the window. She's dragging her IV pole behind her to look out the window and see what happened. And then it dawns on her, what am I doing? Out of bed, dragging my pole. She comes to her senses, but she realizes there's no pain. The pain was gone. So needless to say, doctors came in, nurses came in. They ran all kinds of tests. There was not a thing wrong with her. There was no cancer. There was no, no uh, stuff. You know, these are things, and when it happened, you, you pinch yourself. Did that really happen? You know that it. You don't feel spiritual. You're just full of faith and love and, and, and just stepping out. We were having a prayer meeting uh, at, a, at a guy's house, at, at this one of our members' house. And uh, we were in the middle of the worship, and the Lord said, somebody, their hip is being healed. There were about 80 people. It was not a big house, but there were 80 people jammed in different rooms and everything. And I said, the Lord said, somebody's hip is being healed. And sometimes when I'll do that in the service, I'll say somebody, and nobody will respond, and it's like, <laughs> he's obviously missed it again. So, but you just go with it and just leave it out there. It's God's business, right? So I said, someone's, and so a friend of mine in the congregation gets up, Mike is his name, he gets up and walks forward. He said, that's, that's me. So he, when he walked up, I said, it's not you. <laughs> now, I was lucky to have one person get up and say, yeah, my, I got a messed up hip. And uh, I think he messed it up in Vietnam, and, and, and uh, it, was, it was something that he, I, he had walked with this kind of limp thing. Um, so he walks up there, I said, Mike, it's not you. And it was like, <laughs> so um, I said, no, but I'm going to pray for you. And I pray for him. I don't know. I don't remember if he got healed or whatever. I think he probably did. But at any rate, I said, it's somebody else. Who else is it? And everyone's looking around thinking, please, somebody, stand up and claim this. So I said, you know what? Nobody's saying anything. I said, I'm going to pray anyway. And I commanded that hip to be healed in the name of Jesus. Little did I know, the wall behind my head, there was a bedroom. And one of the mothers had her firstborn daughter who was just a little over a, a year, about a year, between one and two years old, and had, I guess like a dog's hip dysplasia. The ball was to, the 
kept falling out of the socket. So they said, uh, they said the, um, the, the uh, uh, treatment is going to be that for the first 10 or 11 years, she's going to have a series of braces, and they're going to perform some operations along the way, and that was what her youth, her life was going to be. So the mother's nursing her, listening to this, and she claimed it for her daughter. She said, that's, that's my daughter's healing. That's my daughter's healing. So I never knew anything. I found out about this later. A couple of days later, she had an appointment with the physician at Yale New Haven Hospital, uh, whose care her daughter was under, the next day. And she was a very forceful woman. And so she said to the physician, who was not just he didn't believe in Jesus, he was a strict non-believer, and he let it be known. And, uh, but she was not to be, you know, she was not going to be easily bowled over. She said, I want you to run re-x-ray. I want you to re-x-ray her. And uh, he felt her and everything. He said, oh, it feels like something's a little different. She said, I want full x-rays done on this. He said, and he told, she, she told him, God spoke in the, our church service yesterday that my daughter's healed, and I believe she's healed, and I want you to check it out. And against, of course, his better judgment, he went in and did it. And to this day, she has the films to prove she has two perfect hip joints and there was, from that moment forward, there was never another problem in that baby's life. She's a, a, she's a, you know, she's a full-grown woman today, lives in Europe, has her own children and everything. Um, and one, one other quick one. This is a different kind of a miracle. But I, I just want to share with you how natural these things happen. I had a radio program called The Sword of the Spirit. It was on a half hour every day from 12 to 12.30. And um, I... In those days, we taped our programs in advance. They weren't live. So I used to, maybe a month in advance, I would be making the tapes of the, the radio Sword of the Spirit episodes. So I was recording an episode that would air a couple of weeks from the time I was making it. And I was in the middle of talking, and the Holy Spirit comes on me, and I'm talking to a tape machine. Do you understand? I'm talking to a tape machine. And, and the Holy Spirit comes on me and says, someone out there has a spirit of suicide that has been driving him crazy. And right now, he, it's a man and he's about to kill himself. Right now, he's about to enter into the act of committing suicide. And it's a spirit driving him. And, and I'm going to pray over you and that spirit's going to leave you. So here I am and I, I put, it was part of the tape. And so I spoke it into the tape. And it aired, I didn't even remember when it was supposed to air, but two or three weeks later, it airs, and don't you know it, Bob was his name, because he ended up, he ended up completely, totally delivered, and came to our church and, and became a great member of our, of our church. He was driving, um, I think about uh, a couple counties away, not even in our area, and, the, and it aired out in that area, and he was driving, and he had been tormented with the spirit of suicide, and he was right then about to kill himself. And he turned on the radio, and he heard a voice come through and say, you have a, there's a spirit of suicide trying to kill you. Jesus loves you. God has a plan for your life. Don't do it right now. And he said he stopped and prayed and asked the Lord to come into his heart, and that spirit instantly left him. He was completely delivered, immediately like that. So, I mean, how do you do stuff like that? You, that's a miracle. Only God does it. Speak it in a tape. It gets played two or three weeks later, and right at that moment, the guy's listening. So, you know, I've always been ultra-sensitive to going out and trying to fake things, you know, to coming up with my own imagination, doing things, because I've seen so much of it in the church. But when you are pursuing the gospel, when your life is invested in obeying God, when you're full of love and full of faith, and you're, you're moving in that direction, your life is an atmosphere for that kind of thing to happen. So all I could tell you this morning is, if you are hungry and thirsty, you want to see these things happen, the altar call today is, Lord, help me to be that kind of person. I want to be that kind of person. You don't need to be anyone else. 
You certainly don't need to be the evangelist you see on TV or the souped-up hot rod Christian, you know, that, that makes an impression on everybody. Be you. But because God loves working miracles through, through you, common people that just are sold out and loving him. And I'll, and I'll close with this one last thing. Nobody who believes that miracles are not for them and they're not for are ever gonna, they don't have to worry. They don't ever have to be afraid. They're never going to have one. People say, I don't believe healing's for everybody. Don't worry. You'll never be afflicted with healing. But I believe it's for me, so I'll take it. So, at any rate, you have to believe that it is the will of your Savior, Jesus Christ, to show forth himself through your life in miracles. And if you really believe that, then seek him to be the man, to be the woman, we to be the church, we to be the believers that will bring the atmosphere that miracles can happen in. And I, I can't make it any clearer than that. That's the way it happens.